This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Please follow at your own risk and introduce yourself today. <laughs> she just springs this on me. That's okay. If you, you got to be ready. ready. Okay. All right. Fine. Stay fine, ready. Fine. You don't have to get ready. Fine. 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 Uh, uh, as joining me as always is the founder of the witness. I was trying to give him his moment to shine. Listen, he has a very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mister Blue Check Verified himself, Doctor Jamar Tisby. You can follow him at jamartisby.substack.com. I'm just up. I'm just window. I'm just here to look pretty. He did the whole thing. <laughs> well, so you boom. get people here, okay? You're the reason why people tune in. Listen, man, we got. I want to talk to you about something today. I want to talk to you about something that's a little bit of an overflow of our conversations that we've had. I feel like this is interesting, and maybe people can't resonate at first, but I feel like as we dive deeper, they'll be able to resonate. And this is you travel and speak a lot. And for a lot of people, they think of traveling. Not as much as I want to. So you can still book me. <laughs> right? well, where can they book you? <laughs> just go ahead and get it. Out. <laughs> it's just jamartisby.com. Jamartisby.com. Okay. There's a, there's a drop down menu. You'll find book Jamar to speak. This boy is always on. I don't yes. even understand it. <laughs> I just made up a new rap song. Hey, there we go. So you travel and speak. And that's one thing. If it's like kind of part of your enjoyment it's another thing if it's part of your livelihood. Word. Yes. And so having done some more livelihood traveling and speaking over the past few years, that's really intense. People go through a lot and it looks glamorous, but living out of your suitcase and dealing with all kinds of things, traveling, it's just not as fun as people make it out to be. Not nearly, especially but, with the topics we deal with. Exactly. Yeah. But one of the things that made me ask this question is, you know, a few months ago, we were talking about Grove City and what you went through there. And you talk about all of the intensity of people's reactions and what they were, what they were saying, what they were writing, the aftermath. And it made me ask this question, you know, it made me actually think as, as I was hearing you tell this story, man, he's probably not getting paid enough. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like there's like this expertise that you have and there's this profile that you've built and there's this wisdom that you share and there's this knowledge that you have. And I feel like you should probably get well compensated for that. And without knowing any details about what you receive on a regular, I'm like, you know what? I, I can probably imagine that you got $25 underpaid. in a LaCroix is typically <laughs> Right, exactly. Sure, yeah, sure. Absolutely. And, and, and it made me think about really all black people in their discipline and all black people in what we do, how we do and what we do well. And it makes me think, are black people getting paid enough? 
Are y'all all right? Because this is the thing. When we talk about when we talk about the pandemic, pandemic reveals that we have no social safety net. That's we don't right. have right. any fallback money. None of that. And people are like, this is why you should have taught financial literacy. Like you taught. Listen, I get it. I'm just saying, <laughs> though. Then. We hear right I'm now. I'm just saying, though. And and we need to unpack that, too. We yeah, need to unpack yeah, yeah. the whole like financial literacy. Anyway, but talk a little bit about this, right? Getting paid what you're owed. Pay me my money. So, I mean, of course, there's a historic gap. We'll get into that. But I also have to say, it is really astounding how quickly the professional work landscape has shifted. Mm -hmm. So, when I was coming over here, we're recording in Atlanta at the moment, and I was um, getting off the plane. I was about to go to the rideshare line. And listen, can cat, I just preface listen, this and say, don't I do, not do recommend this. this for don't everybody. do this. They literally tell you not to do this. I was this. up for an adventure. But I loved the 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 initiative, right? So this okay. guy had basically started his own private rideshare cab company. I'm sure it's kind of under the table, but he was in in the pathway for passengers disembarking. Just going don't to the say this person's share. name because this could be like it. a trafficking situation. Any, I don't know what's nah, going on. No, no, no. <laughs> what it was, this guy, so so he was not with Uber or Lyft or anything, but he was giving rides for a fee kind of a thing. Point being, he had been, we got to talking in the car ride, he had been working essentially a nine to five job. Mm. It was a, a manual labor type of situation. He was working eight, 10, 12 hour days in the blazing summer sun of the South and getting peanuts, you know, in terms of pay, right? So he's like, you know what? I don't have to do this. I'm going to do my own thing, you know? How legit it was in this case, <laughs> who knows? I get the spirit of it. Point I get the spirit. being, right now, this idea of pay me my money is so pertinent because we live in a gig economy mm -hmm. and there are so many ways outside of established corporate or institutional pathways mm -hmm. to get paid, but it relies on your ability to negotiate, to ask up front for what you think you're worth, mm -hmm. to determine what you're worth, and to actually get it. So these questions of payment right. are pressing on us in a way that, that we haven't seen before. And it's critical for Black people to get it right, because most of the time, we're going to be lowballed. Yeah. When it comes to paying for our goods or services. Yeah. And it feels like we're also just afraid to talk about money in general. Very much so. Very it's much a very so. uncomfortable conversation often for us because those of us who haven't had it historically and have grown up in maybe difficult situations are a little bit hesitant. We're tiptoeing around it. And I've seen that in my life. I've seen that in other people I know. We just kind of tiptoe around it. Yes. And, and where do you think that comes from? Because I would love to hear, like, from a psychological perspective, how you navigated that as you were, you were getting a little bit more popular, a little bit more known, New York Times bestseller. And now you're having to advocate on your behalf because your time is very valuable. You're getting pulled in more directions than what you can do. You yes. have to say no to certain things. Yes. Like, see, some of us, we're not booked and busy like that. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you know, we're getting like two, two, three little speaking engagements. That's cool. Like, we praise God for that. But it's a different level with you. Like, it is a totally different level. Everybody that reaches out to you, you cannot go to fulfill those sure, obligations sure. and those engagements. Sure. Well, I'll say a, a couple of things. First of all, I'm not a psychologist. I'll just say from my perspective, um, there's an element of competition, you know, where uh, a lot of the times, especially in these sort of speaking circles or service circles, we're 
sort of drawing from the same pool of companies, nonprofits, individuals, whatever. But there's also a, you know, who's charging what? Am I higher than they are? Am I getting more? That's a competitive aspect. But I think more fundamentally, it's learning as we go. We don't even know initially what questions to ask. We don't know. We're, we're figuring it out right. along the way. And honestly, some of the most informative stuff has come from figuring out what they paid the white people and be like, oh, my. <laughs> that is way higher <laughs> right. than I was charged. Right. And most of the 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 sort of popular science around this stuff is – Start from the default of you're charging too little. Right. You're asking for too little, which I think goes doubly for black people and, and people from other marginalized communities. Well, well, even before we get to the practicals, I feel like we have to unpack and unlearn some of our cues, which is that if you ask for more money, that's greedy. Yeah. <laughs> and if yeah. you and if you're and if you're desiring to advocate on behalf of yourself, there's something about that that's unethical or unspiritual, right? So you should just be thankful just to do what you do. You should be thankful that you got breath in your body. You should just be thankful that you got the food on in your belly. You got clothes on your back. You got a roof over your head. Well, that's an aspect too, because a lot of a lot of what we're talking about is sort of ministry oriented. We're, we're, we're trying to talk about the Bible or uh, go to this, you know, Christian conference or talk about, you know, history from a Christian perspective. And it feels like we shouldn't be charging a lot for the Lord's work kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. and, and that's in contrast to if I'm, say, you know, a business professional te teaching marketing tips or, or, or something of that nature, it feels like it's something that should inherently just yeah. not have much money behind it. But the way I, one of the ways that I t convince myself to ask for what I think I'm worth is the cost of giving. Hmm. The cost of giving. So there is a sort of spiritual, mental, emotional toll that every time you go out and, 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 and you provide this service, you are giving of yourself. Yeah. And many times we are putting out far more than we're taking in. So that's exhausting. The other part is time is the only currency that we cannot get more of. We cannot generate mm. more mm. of. And so if I'm going to particularly go on location somewhere, that's three or four days away from my family and more and more for me, away from my routine. Right. Where I can exercise when I want, write, uh, meet whatever might be in my normal schedule, you have to disrupt that. And then there's a a, a sort of re-entry cost on mm -hmm. top of it, where it's not just you get back and boom, you pick up where you left off. You've got to sort of transition. So all of that yeah. goes into your pricing in addition to you put in your 10,000 hours. Right. You know, you, 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 you're delivering maybe an hour of content that took you 10 years to accumulate the mm -hmm. wisdom and the knowledge to be able to deliver that. Right. So the issue is capitalism. <laughs> the issue, yeah, I mean, part of it, you, you know, because I feel like there's there's a there's a natural force that you're fighting here that tears us and pushes us towards leans us towards inequity. Right? Leans us towards something that it we're constantly constantly being 
chipped away at what we're worth right. like and then even beyond that you talk about the credentials that you had to receive and the education and being in the academy you talk about student loans you talk about how much you pay for that yeah. you, talk, you know yeah. you just talk about all these things and you're like yo i kind of feel like if we don't if we don't have a complete overhaul of how we think about experts yeah and how we think about people who are who god has grace in a particular way in their sphere and this is way more than ministry, way, way more than, than preaching absolutely. and teaching, way absolutely. more than talking about race and justice. It is way more. It goes down to tech. It goes down to audio. It goes down to all kinds of things. If we don't have a mindset about that, that is overhauled, I feel like we're constantly going to be operating from a space of inequity, even as we say, oh, we care about race and justice. Well, it brings up two things for me. One, as you're talking about multiple sectors, multiple spheres, this topic of pay and pay equity really blew up online when they were talking about, I think it's a hashtag called publishing paid me. Oh, yeah. That That was revealing where you had top, top black writers like Kaese Lehman and and Tracy McMillan Cotton and many, many others, Roxane Gay. And they were talking about their early publishing deals where when you look at the caliber of writing they had even then their first and second book deals was way wildly underpaid especially as compared to their white counterparts who also weighed in so you can look up that hashtag publishing paid me and and to, to see some of that and then when you're talking about capitalism it's specifically racial capitalism. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Like, yes, it is yes. so tied even this idea of race and racialization in my view, came behind the economic incentives of exploiting labor to maximize profit. I mean, that's essentially what race-based chattel slavery was and why it got enshrined as um, a racial category is, you know, initially it was it was kind of murky. They had this sort of indentured servitude, but, you know, sometimes we might hang on to you for your whole life. Right. And then <laughs> right. your kids yeah. were brought into it and it actually wasn't the status of the father, the status of the mother. Right. And what was behind all of that is the profit motive that these plantation owners specifically, so that you have these financial elites wanting to maximize profit and minimize loss, the easiest way to do that, not pay your laborers at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And then r- the idea of race comes behind that to enshrine this hierarchy and say that we have this permanent underclass of laborers who are of African descent. And we have we formulate this ideology is that because they're of African descent, they're in this class of yeah. labor, right? And then let me just finish with this. What the okay, tomorrow is so long ago. It doesn't matter now. We're all equal. No, no, no. <laughs> you know how you know how folks they're do. gonna clip that. They're gonna clip you that know how put they that do. in the discernment. <laughs> There's a, there, I'm, I'm reading from a Washington Post article. Um, as, this is from 2020. So this is even in the height of the, the racial uprisings. It says the black white economic divide is as wide as it was in 1968. In many ways, the gap between the finances of blacks and whites is still as wide in 2020 as it was in 1968 when a run of landmark civil rights legislation culminated in the Fair Housing Act in response to centuries of unequal treatment of African-Americans in nearly every part of society and business. Let me read this. 
So we're talking about wealthy people. Mm-hmm. White wealth has soared hmm. while black wealth has stagnated. Many have pointed to the far larger share of white millionaires than black. And I like this part because we're not all millionaires, Tyler. <laughs> but even among the black middle class. Why are you tapping me for that? I don't even understand. I, I just want to remind you. I can't even, you, I can't I even comprehend. I don't <laughs> But, I can't even comprehend it, bro. I can't. <laughs> but even among the black middle class, the inequities are stark. So we're talking about regular folk, right? In 1968, a typical middle class black household had $6,664 in wealth compared mm. to $70,786. You, you talk about $6,674 compared to $70,786. That's 1968. In 2016, the typical middle-class black household had $13,024 in wealth compared to $149,703. What? Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yes. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Say that again. 13000 compared to 150000 This is in what year? 2016. An even larger gap in percentage terms. That's more now, than that, 10 I didn't, times. I did not know it was that big of a gap. It's that big of a gap. Like, I, and so I class. hear I hear that there's a big gap. Yeah. And I, I cognitively understand it, but I didn't know that in numbers. Right. Wow. This is why we say, pay me my money. Okay, we gotta let that we gotta let those stats breathe for a second. So let's take a break because we gotta come back and give the people some strategies or something. Cause that is what? People gotta go pray. Yeah, we gotta I gotta go wait a second. Hold on. Okay, we'll be right back here on Passing Mike. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, 10, go higher. 15, that's 20, right. 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. So just to add on, because these stats really are astounding when you put the actual numbers, there was another one. It was a headline I read years ago that I'll never forget. This one's from the Wall Street Journal, and it says it would take 228 years for black families to amass the wealth of white families. But didn't I just say we were taking a break to recover from the <laughs> statistic? There's still more. No, you, we've got to press this point. It said if current policies remain in place, it would take over two centuries for us to catch up where white people are right now. So I think we need to acknowledge this as a result of what you're saying in these statistics. It is more than just an individual issue. It is more than just what we can overcome individually. So I think we need to acknowledge that. Right. So we need to acknowledge that, yes, there are some things that we can do to advocate for ourselves and for each other, but it is bigger than us. So we're in a system. Right. We're in yep. a cycle that is, 
you know, needs to be overhauled and needs to be addressed and yeah. needs to be, you know, confronted. But I think that's important, right? So that people don't get this idea of, oh, I'm supposed to overcome 228 years of <laughs> on my gap own. on my own <laughs> with just some thrifty principles and some skills and right, the right, right language Clipping and the right coupons is not going to. Yeah, that's not going to that's not going to overcome the wealth gap. Right? But I will say, so I'm not an economist. I'm not a policy expert. I don't know what you do. To close that gap from an expert perspective, what I can say, I, I have a, I have a thought. I mean, reparations sounds great, you absolutely. Know? But I just, you know, <laughs> I, I know. I, so, I, I so, mean, that's just me. I mean, well, <laughs> I don't I know. You know, I'm not. I'm not an expert, but you I know, reparations. E- I wasn't even looking. It is a systemic <laughs> redress that I think, especially white Christians, need to take seriously. Yes. Um, a reparations level of payment, and almost in addition. Hazard pay. Let me tell you. Yeah. Okay. So what's happening now? Um, it wasn't too long ago in the news. I think it was Salman Rushdie got stabbed. Yeah. yeah. At a as, at a speaking event, he was about to get on. It's it's called Chautauqua or or something like that. I think that's what it's called. Where was that? That the. I think that's the institution where he was speaking at. I think it's called Chautauqua. It's like a very popular like speaking platform. That's what shocked me. That I was like, man, they ain't got security it's up there. Not so, <laughs> you know, like this is you a know, serious, it's like a very serious yeah. thing. But I know it happened so quickly that it just was, yeah, and it's a lot. And well, he's been is, under threat for right, a long time. And this is what I'm saying is that we live in a climate to where when you're speaking truth, particularly about certain issues in in politics, in race, there is literally an increasing physical hazard to going to certain places. And I'm telling you, I've been to some places in rural parts of states that are, you know, unfamiliar territory, um, urban parts, you know, all of it. There is a hazard to speaking these topics. We're not getting you know, booked to talk about, you know, five principles for a healthy marriage. That's great. But it doesn't evoke the same type of response as talking about like white Christian nationalism or something. So there's a hazard to it. But in addition, there is literally centuries of inequality that we're dealing with. So what I'm saying is on the side of the, the, the institution organization inviting black people, you need to be aware of these dynamics yes. and pay accordingly. But then on the flip side, for the black people who are offering these services, you need to also be aware of this context and not yes. be afraid or at least be bolder in asking for what you think you are worth. Because here's the here's the nuts and bolts of it too. It is a lot easier from a labor perspective to book fewer clients at a higher cost than many, many clients at a lower cost. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. So, so it, it, it's a lot easier to get, um, let's say you're selling something online, 10 customers to pay a hundred dollars than a hundred customers to pay $10. Right. So, even from a labor perspective, and you say you're not an economist, I'm not. <laughs> but even from a labor perspective, it, it 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 is more sustainable that way. And you can have tears, you know. It's not all or nothing. All I'm saying is getting to the psychology of right. it. Can we get to the point where we are actually valuing ourselves? This is what it comes yeah. to. But it's also theological. Right? Okay. Okay. Past I really will, but I, but I want us I want us to think about this in terms of being image bearers of God. Yeah. And and as image bearers of God, we have value and dignity and worth. And I want us to think about worth more than 
we just simply survive. Mm, I want us to think about on. worth in terms of flourishing. Abundance. And I want us to think about worth as they don't shoot at us. That's not enough. <laughs> right? <laughs> like they don't kill us at a traffic stop. And I think one of the dangers is we start to think that in this justice movement, we go because we are desirous of seeing any action, we go too small. Mm. And we start to think we we don't go far enough. And we start to believe in our hearts that, well, you know, if it's body cams or if it's, you know, oversight or if it's a, a committee of citizens that can have oversight over the police. No, it actually is our entire lives have been That's constructed good. around. That's it's good. way yeah. more than just one area. And I think we really need to do a, when we talk about flourishing and value and worth, we need to do intentional work looking out for one another. That's a and good I word. realized this when I was speaking at a conference with one of my friends and I didn't know her that well before, but then over the course of time, like we got to know each other better. Now she's been on the podcast and we were both speaking at this conference and we spoke at the conference and we both kind of looked at each other like, oh, this is very interesting. And then probably a year or so, year and a half later, um, we were just having a, a casual conversation and she was just like, yeah, I feel like, you know, because when I went to such and such conference, you know, they paid me this. And I was like, oh, they paid you that? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and I was me. like, really? And I was like, because they paid me this. And she was like, really? And I said, wow, we didn't even know right. what was going on. And then one of my mentors was teaching me like, oh, no, we literally asked what. If if I go to a place and I know what I got paid, I'm going to tell you if they're booking you. This is mm. <laughs> this, because no, this is really where you should be getting paid, That's right? Not way, because yes. we have equality in credentials, right? But because it's equity in terms of time, effort, you getting away from your family. That's like right. you make, we have to really look out for one another, and I feel like we live in such a society that's individual. And says, "Oh, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put you down. I'm gonna make sure I'm okay." Like, That's it's right. About exactly. Me. Exactly. But we actually need to look out for one another in this, and I think we've tried to do this ourselves when we speak at similar places right. or in the same place, right. like just trying to encourage one another and just say, "Hey, man, make sure you know, <laughs> make sure you get what you're worth." You know, in this particular That's context. Right. That's right. And not because we're desirous of of pulling from an institution, but because we don't want to be exploited. We don't want to be exploited. And we also have to make hard decisions if we don't do that, which is we just may not be able to speak as much as we desire to and as many places as as would want us to come speak because it is just not it is just not a wise stewardship of our time and our resources and our energy to step away from family and church and life and all the above when we're not getting compensated fairly. And I'll be honest with you, it's really hard for me to ask someone oh same oh, <laughs> you know man. like I, I'm what did you get paid oh, <laughs> like same. but it that has actually been the most helpful you know the 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 biggest bumps in confidence i've had are when i've somehow found out usually it's somebody who's very generously minded who will volunteer the information and say this is what i got this is what you should be getting etc cetera, etc cetera. or if it's somewhat of your peer group you know, you can you can bounce yeah. off of one another, but it's a tough thing, man. My just my my heart is just for the amount of labor time that we put into our services and trying to be good, better, best at what we do. 
it's worth. And they almost always have the flexibility yes. to increase and go up. And most of the time, people who are inviting you, they believe in what you're doing. Right. You yeah. Know? And a lot of times it's not, it's not something that is intentional. Right. It's just a right. level of of I use this word charitably, it's just ignorance. I just don't know. Yes. You know, and as a result of that, I'm not thinking about this. I haven't been forced to think about this. And so I feel like we have the opportunity to kind of push that. Yes. And just say, hey, let's make sure that all of all of our people, because I want all of our people to win. I want all of our people to be able to flourish. I want all of our people to be able to do every single thing that they've been called to do. And they're going to do less if they're having to expel energy and not get poured back into. That's right. And That's not right. be able to make ends meet. And, and which is way more com- way more common than what you know. So let me just say two more things. One, the rule of thumb that I've heard is whatever price point jumps to your mind as what to charge, take that and add 20%. Mm-hmm. Whatever you thought you was reasonable to charge, take that and add 20% to it. You're worth it. Some people will say, no, that's fine. You're out of their budget. <laughs> there are others that will be in your, in, in, in your budget. And then the other piece is this is just speaking from my experience. The places that have offered me from the jump and I haven't had to negotiate up the highest fees for my services. It was black women inviting me. Uh, always. It was black always. women inviting me. Isn't that so funny? Yeah, huh? Always. Yeah. <laughs> Without Just fail. So happens. I'd be like, really? <laughs> Are you sure? And they'd be like, absolutely. And I'd be like, wait, what? Isn't that funny? Wow. The most in in, in our particular sphere, most marginalized yeah. would often be the ones who would be the most generous. Right, right, right. Wow. So by the way, we get this title from <laughs> The Ocean's 12 movie. You remember that scene with uh Don Cheetah was trying to distract uh the 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 main antagonist. Wait, what'd you say? It's Ocean's 13. Ocean's 13. Ocean's 13. Yes, yeah, not 12. Yeah. 13. And uh he walks into office uh talk to Mr. Bank. He said, "Mr. Bank, pay me my money." So that's uh in cash. <laughs> shout out to the to the great, the legendary, the true man myth legend Don Cheetah. <laughs> I don't I don't understand your fascination with Kevin Hart and Don Gio. <laughs> it's like those are your two favorite people to look up to. And they got on the same set on Heart to Heart and it was one of the funniest hour-long okay. conversations I've to, ever okay. seen in my entire life. We will unpack your never- Kevin Hart. We'll unpack the Kevin Hart encouragement and how much you admire him later. But yes, pay pay I'll, I'll stick with it for now. Pay us our money in cash. Amen. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. 
Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.